Yes, you can do it yourself. Nothing that we do is overly complicated. However, where do you want to choose to spend your time? Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Matt Jones, and today I'll be interviewing Ryan Schroeder, who's a guy I know and is a really good guy. Uh, Ryan is the owner and broker of VSM Real Estate ever since 2010. Uh, he worked previously in the field of both business and hotel brokering before starting his own business with his former partner, Goran. And VSM started as a property management business and has evolved include or to include a brokerage division and a construction business called yeah. Construction Pros. Through these companies, Ryan and his team have helped hundreds of investors by being a one-stop shop for their Twin Cities residential real estate investments. From helping clients to finding properties to the financial analysis, also from uh, leasing to managing, uh, maintaining, and the eventual disposition, uh, they can help you do it all. So uh, Ryan is a father to both a son and a daughter and enjoys sports, travel, and being active outdoors when he's not working. So welcome, Ryan. And can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your experience? Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all, Matt. Um, and yeah, I mean, that definitely summarizes it fairly well. Uh, I, I'm the offspring of two salespeople. I think I was genetically predisposed to it. Um, I started my career at Sunbelt Business Brokers, where my dad is still actually a business broker and got my first foray into brokering as well as entrepreneurship. And then from there, did hotel brokering until the market the Great Recession, as we're referring to it. Um, from there, I decided to pivot into uh, doing property management, frankly, because there was a huge opportunity. It was kind of like a little bit of a gold rush at that time, got into that business. Quickly learned, though, that it's, you can't really be a one-trick pony in real estate because the market's always changing and you've got to be able to adapt with it. So uh, it seems like every year or two, there's a new iteration of uh, what we focus on and what we uh, you know, don't. But generally speaking, it's been in the field of property management, brokering in construction and flips and things of that nature, all related to residential real estate in the Twin Cities. And so uh, that's my wheelhouse. I'd really try not to go outside into commercial or outside of the Twin Cities uh, so that I can be focused on what I know. Yep, that makes sense. And, you know, when I first started with real estate, I was my own property manager. And, you know, that uh, <laughs> it was a lot of work, certainly. Uh, why should people consider hiring a property manager versus just doing it themselves? You know, that's a funny question because uh, my girlfriend moved in with me back in July and she's renting out her house now for the second time. And I'm her de facto uncompensated property manager and um, helping her to do all of these things. Like we spend our weekends going down to Rochester where her house is and we'll spend eight hours doing one project. And then the next weekend we'll go down, we'll do it again. And her house has been vacant for two months. And I'm, I've been telling her, I'm like, you should just hire a property management company to take care of all this stuff. And I kind of like, I got like another lesson on why what we do matters because it sucks all your free time. If you have a full-time job and you have, you know, a family or any other sort of obligations, and then you also try and take on the process of getting your property rehab, getting it leased and doing all of those things. I mean, it, it can, it can consume just a lot of your time, focus and energy. Um, and I get the feeling like she finally gets it. And for me, it was actually interesting because I hadn't done all the little functions that 
our company as a whole does in a long time, like leasing and actually like painting and doing things myself. And so I even would say I found a new appreciation for, for property management. But back to your question, though, why would somebody want to do this? Well, the, the quick version of it is, is you pay for convenience, just like you do with everything else. Um, last night, I went out for dinner and had a burrito. It's not like I couldn't have made the burrito myself, but the person who made the burrito is better at doing it than I am. And I just showed up, got served, and then went on with my day. And so I would say the same is true for property management. Um, yes, you can do it yourself. Nothing that we do is overly complicated. However, where do you want to choose to spend your time? And where do you want to try and have expertise, right? Um, I would say property management also has really big uh, value in the knowledge of having done this thousands of times. Our lease started out as a two-page agreement. Now that thing is 20 pages. Our management contract started out as two pages. Now it's like 18 pages. Uh, and that's just frankly a culmination of experiences. Every time you get caught, with something or you know something doesn't work out in your favor you learn from it and you take that experience and that knowledge and incorporate it into your business going forward so like for example if you were to hire me you're getting thousands of transactions worth of experience all in you know like basically you're catching up to where i'm at now not where i started so yeah that makes sense so you're you're hiring the you know, the, the experience that a property manager has to do a, a better job than you could yourself, essentially. And so Basically. even though it, it's costing you money, you know, I, I, my view is that it's actually saving you money in the end because it's, it's better, it's more efficient, and, and you're going to find and keep uh, tenants uh, and take care of issues a lot easier. Absolutely. And that actually goes to a conversation you and I have had offline about the book, Who Not How. And if there's things that you don't naturally enjoy or want to do, those are the things that you should first look to delegate, right? So for me, for example, um, the last thing I want to do is get underneath a car and start like changing oil and tinkering with stuff. Like that is something I'm always happy to outsource to somebody else because I'm worried I'll screw it up, make it worse, get dirty at best, right? Um, so I think it just requires people to do a little bit of self-reflection and think, hey, is this really something that I want to do? Is this really an area where, you know, I have limited knowledge about the laws as far as tenant rights and the process and when to collect money and you know how to how to say no to certain things you know what do i determine as a tenant paid repair versus not how will i handle the disposition there's a lot of nuances to it and so yes there is a cost associated with convenience but i like to think that the fees that we charge we typically make those up for our clients and just saving them from the pitfalls. Not to mention our marketing is typically a lot better than, you know, an owner might just go out to their house and snap photos on their iPhone and throw it up on Craigslist. Well, you know, we hire professional photographers and we syndicate our listings out to hundreds of websites. We try and stack showings to build a buzz and, you know, be able to get full price for these rentals and uh, negotiate better terms. So oftentimes what we're able to, you know, gross is higher so that the net ends up being roughly similar without you having to hassle with it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I think an argument can be made as to like, if you're a new investor, to, uh, you know, learning the ropes through property or managing your own properties is a way to learn what it takes to be a good property manager. But at the same time, you had a great point of, you know, you're going to make all the rookie mistakes where a, a professional property manager, they already know the lay of the land. They're not going to make those uh, rookie mistakes. They're going to 
have systems and approaches that are, are going to take care of things. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's like, do you want to hire a hairstylist that's been doing it for 20 years or somebody who's on their first day on the job, right? Like, who do you think is going to give you a better haircut, you know? And so, um, yes, you pay for that experience and that time and that knowledge, but, you know, um, I think price is only an objection in the absence of value. So if you, if you're receiving value equal to or greater than what you're paying, then it's worth hiring someone for. That's, that's my viewpoint anyways. Obviously, I'm a biased on that um, because I do own a, a property management company, but I can tell you, I don't do any of my own leasing. I don't do any of my own maintenance for, for my own properties. I mean, like I use my own company for all of that. I'm not out there saying one thing and then doing another. Yeah. And there are just a ton of property management companies out there. You know, sure. I, I could just Google local property managers and what's wrong with just picking the, the top one on the list versus doing some research. You know, that's a great question. I mean, I guess the top one on the list is paying to be on that list, right? So um, if I were going to be searching, and, and I do this, by the way, if I'm shopping on Amazon, if I'm booking a trip or whatever it is, I'm looking at reviews. I want to see what other customers' interactions have been with this company or this product or whatever it is, and, and that's how I'm going to make my decision. So I would urge anybody who is looking for a property management company to let let reviews be a you know at least a primary guiding factor for you because not just whoever is highest on the list or whose name you've heard on the radio or, or whatever that may be because it doesn't necessarily equate to quality. And unfortunately, I can't shop for property managers on Amazon. So like, how am I going to see those reviews? I think Google is a great place. Um, so if you were to do a search on Google for property managers, um, you know, there's typically there's going to be like the ad section where, you know, people pay to be up there. But then if you start to go to the map part of it, for example, and you click on, you see where all of them are, it'll start to show you the stars, the number of reviews that they have and the, and the quality of those reviews. Um, you could go to a third-party site, like whether it be Google or Thumbtack is a popular place where, you know, service providers can, you know, kind of compete for business. Um, that'd be one. Yelp uh, is another, obviously. Um, so there's, there's a handful. I probably am missing some of them, but, you know, that's how, that's just how personally I make my purchasing decisions is I like to see what other people have had as experience with this company or this product or whatever it may be, um, because it's generally the best indication of what your experience would be. I also like to go to, you know, conferences or meetups or, or yeah. you know, Facebook groups where, with other investors that have shopped around as well and just ask around. Uh, that's, for some references. That's, that's a great point too. Yeah. I mean, I kind of just skipped over the, the old fashioned way of doing things, right? Like, uh, you know, you and I met at a real estate conference, for example, right? And like, you know, I met a dozen people at the last one that I, you know, kept in contact with and, um, you know, asking for references is always huge. So, so, uh, you know, I, I know you, we've talked about this offline, but your, you know, VSM has multiple services that you provide. It's not just property management. Like, That's correct. Like, like what, what's the sort of lay of the land of, of, of all the different services that you guys do? Sure. So we have obviously the property management division, which we've talked a little bit about within that we do tenant placement as well. So, uh, you know, we, you know, all the leasing and all of that. Uh, but before that, what we do is we have a construction division and we help owners to get their properties in what we refer to as rent ready condition. So rent ready is a combination of both the cosmetic aspects of, you know, appealing to a you know, tenant. And the other part of it is compliance related. So 
Um, there's cities will have rental license requirements. And if you do section eight, there's also layers of, uh, you know, other things on top of that as well. But I like to remind people that renting is a beauty contest. So make no mistake about it. Uh, no one really cares if you just put in new windows or a new furnace and you know, you've got a new roof or whatever. They're shopping with their eyes. They want to see the stainless steel appliances. They want to see the quartz countertops. They want white cabinets. They want the trim painted white. They want a modern, beautiful looking property. And uh, the, the onus on a property owner is to provide a beautiful property because when you do that, you have a lot more interest from the prospective tenant pool and you can choose from better tenants and also you can achieve more rent. And last but not least, the value of your property is increased by making said improvements. So, uh, so the construction division is one of them. Uh, that construction division will also, not, not only will it help you get your property in rent ready condition, will help you to be able to maintain it throughout the lease as well. So, uh, you know, the, the cliche is, what happens if a toilet breaks at three in the morning? Well, those calls go to us. You know, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll get a we'll get an emergency plumber out there. We'll take care of all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then the third division that we have is our brokerage division. So we have about a dozen real estate agents here at the firm, and everybody who works here as a real estate agent is here because they have the same specific niche that the company does at large, which is they are seeking to invest and own residential real estate investments in the Twin Cities. So um, that sort of archetype of agents is consistent here. You know, we're not, um, you know, we're not a Remax office where some of our agents do 100 transactions a year. We're the type of office where all of our agents can do a cap rate, cash on cash return analysis, as well as tell you what this property will rent for, what it needs to get, you know, put into rent ready condition, et cetera. So um, that's kind of our niche. Uh, is is those three things is management, uh, brokerage and construction all related to if you think of them as spokes from a hub, the hub is the residential real estate investment itself. You know, well, from an investor standpoint, I can say that the convenience factor is really appealing where yeah. I can have one company that helps me find properties, you know, uh, purchase them uh, and renovate them to market you know, expectations find tenants, uh, do them all the maintenance, unit yep. turns, find new tenants, and then uh, later on sell the properties as well. Yep. And then do it Absolutely. all over again. Yep, exactly. And like, there's obviously even more stuff in the middle there too. Like we, we take care of the certificate of rent paid for the tenant. We, we produce a 1099 with a report with all of your income and expenses and for tax time and all this kind of stuff. So it, it really is meant to be a one-stop shop. And, you know, we're fortunate. We have clients that we've had for, uh, I'm gonna say about 10 years at this point, that live in other countries like Japan and Germany and whatnot, and haven't even come back to their properties. And they're just, they're just kind of on like a autopilot, so to speak. Um, one of our best clients is a surgeon uh, in North Dakota. And he, I mean, he doesn't even, even ask any questions. He just basically gets his report every month and we take care of everything from the snow to the maintenance to the leasing and everything. So um, those are our favorite clients as well, of course. Uh, we prefer them to the micromanager ones, uh, but you know we'll, we're certainly happy to work with uh, anybody who has the same values as we do. So tell me a little bit more about the communication that you do with your investors. Like, uh, like you said, you run reports and, and provide those, and you know what else? So um, 
when a property is in the, we call it like the management phase, kind of like after you've leased it up and the tenants are in place, um, the communication is regularly monthly in the form of an email with just a, a statement. And that statement will just say, here's when we collected the rent minus your management fee, here's your distribution that showed up with your account. Now, if there is a maintenance request at some point during the management period, we'll actually get in contact with the owner, tell them, hey, here's what the issue is, here's what we've been told, um, here's what we've done to try and troubleshoot or diagnose it, um, here's what we think it's going to need, do you approve it, and if they approve it, then we'll, we'll send somebody out there as a technician. Um, so during the kind of management period, it's kind of business as usual, there's not a ton of communication unless something is needed. Where the catalyst for communication will come up is upon renewal of the rental license. That's another kind of monumental uh, step in the process, right? That's usually annually or biannually, depending on the city. Um, there's usually an inspection involved and sometimes there's repairs and things that need to happen. But the communication is probably most intensive during the leasing process. Um, that's where, you know, we have to go out to the property, lay eyes on it, do a condition report, provide said condition report to the owner, make a list of recommendations for improvements and repairs. We get that done. Then we have it photographed. We get it listed for lease. Um, once we start to get applicants, we'll have that uh, dialogue with the client and say, hey, you know, we've got three uh, applicants in this group that, you know, they all have over 700 credit scores and they've got this for income. And, you know, we think that they're really strong and we'd like to uh, encourage them to apply for the property. And so that's when the majority of the communication actually happens is during kind of the rehab and lease phase. And then after that, it's, you know, hopefully relatively routine. And can investors give you permission, like, uh, you know, like, hey, if there's any repairs that are that you see are needed that are $200 or less, for example, yep. you just go ahead and do them and, and you just let me know later. That's exactly right, Matt. So um, every owner is given the ability to set a dollar threshold. Um, typically, most owners are in the 250 to 500 range where their threshold is. If it's under that, they don't want to be bothered. They just said, okay, if it needs uh, the garbage disposal goes out and it's 240 bucks, just take care of it. Um, and then some owners, of course, want to be notified of everything. And some of them don't want to be notified of anything at all. They just want you know, they're so busy that they don't want to be bothered by it. And it's really a spectrum. So what we do is we take their input of what they want uh, to do, and we write that into their contract. And then we put that in bold notes in our property man management software. So when maintenance comes up on that property, we know precisely how this owner wants to handle it. That makes sense. You know, because like for me, anyway, if you get a 3 a.m. toilet, you know, broken toilet call, I don't want you to call me at 305 and ask me if you can fix it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, there are certainly instances, and it's written into our management contract, that we have emergency authority to, to make repairs if we think that waiting for your approval will cause there to be more damage. So it's pretty rare. Um, we've only really seen that with pipe bursts. That's kind of the, the one time that, and, and occasionally on a furnace that goes out, because what's unfortunately happens is when it's like negative 10 here, that's when all the furnaces break, right? Because they're working so hard. So then now it's an emergency because it's so cold outside that their heat is going to drop dramatically. And so in, in those instances, it could be three or $4,000, you know, to get a new furnace. We're, we're going to engage somebody to start the process, but we're, we're not going to completely go through with it until we've got your approval because of the dollar amount. Um, 
So it's there are there are, there's certainly gray areas though, Matt, where it's like we just sometimes act to do what we think is in the best interest of the client, and so um, sometimes it's just shutting off water or um, you know doing something like that without even getting permission because we know if we don't, the problem is only going to amplify. Hey, the North Star Real Estate Conference is back. It's May 2nd and 3rd, and this year it's a bit different. We're going to be hammering in on multifamily real estate, and we're going to show you asset management, value add strategies, raising millions of dollars through syndication, and how to find those hidden gems in today's market that are just so tough to find. And one of the biggest things I'm excited to bring you is industry experts that you're going to be able to put on your team so you can hit the ground running day one. So join us. May 2nd and 3rd at the North Star Real Estate Conference. Look forward to seeing you there. You know, if I'm one of your investors and, and there's like some kind of issue that I'm having with you, like how, how do we go about resolving that? Well, my preference would be to have a phone call and uh, treat each other like civilized human beings and, you know, try and talk it through, right? Um, and then, uh, I mean, when there are issues, I believe it's just a matter of, listening and understanding the other person's perspective. And then, you know, of course, giving your own. Um, if I have to, then we'll obviously reference either the lease agreement or the management agreement. If the dispute continues to persist, we have to have some sort of governing document for how we're going to handle things. That's not to say that we don't, um, you know, make uh, like, I guess, uh, agreements that are outside of the the agreements that we already have, if it's in the best interest of, you know, keeping a client happy or, um, you know, if we've made a mistake, we'll make it right type of a thing. So, um, but I mean, I just believe it comes down to communication really. Um, and I, and like I said, I prefer to do it verbally. I think sometimes when people get behind a computer and they start typing, you know, nasty worded emails and stuff like that, tone can be difficult to interpret. People don't have the same filter. So I try and take it away from that type of communication and do more uh, of a more of a personal variety. And it, back in the pre-COVID days, I actually tried to resolve all disputes in person. Like I would actually meet them at a coffee shop because I think there's a continuum of people's professionalism and willingness to make compromise. And I found that in person is the highest over the phone is in the middle and over email uh, everybody's, you know, thugged out, you know, with their writing and everything. And it's, gets pretty annoying when people, you know, fire off nasty emails. So. Yeah. Intonation doesn't really transfer very well over the written word. Yeah. So I, I'm old school like you in person is definitely the best for the best. Relationship. I agree. I, I think you disarm a lot of people too, when you have, when you have to sit across from them and, and talk to them. I mean, people aren't generally as disrespectful in their communications. If you're face to face as they would be perhaps over email. And I'm, I'm curious about your leases that you have with residents, like, you know, 20 pages. That is a long lease. That's certainly longer than the standard Minnesota lease. Uh, yeah. What are some of the unique things that uh, have come, you've come across that you've had to put in the lease? <sighs> oh boy. Um, I'll give an example. Uh, you know, we keep a lockbox at the property so that our technicians can get into the property. Um, and sometimes the tenants eventually become wise to the fact that there's a, a lockbox there. And then I've had tenants who you know, they've lost their keys for one reason or another, and they're calling us saying, hey, what's the code of the lockbox so I can get in there, you know? So eventually we had to write into the agreement that the lockbox is not for your purposes whatsoever. It's not your, like, I lost my keys type of thing. Because as soon as we give them the combination and then 
you know, we go out there to do maintenance, there's like a 90% chance the keys aren't going to be there, you know, type of a thing. And that's going to cost us trip charges. So we had to basically spell out, Hey, yes, there is a lockbox. you know, here's where we're keeping it. And here's why you can't have access to it. And so um, that's like one example. Um, another would be uh, like every time there's a property in an association, associations have their own rules and regulations and stuff like that that are written into their bylaws. So we end up having to reference uh, the fact that there, this property isn't an association and that it has rules and regulations. And then we attach a copy of the rules and regulations from the association to the lease as an appendix to it. And then as those things get updated, then the onus is on us to provide them again to the tenant so that they can have a, a new version of the rules. So, I mean, there's a lot, it's a lot of little things, um, uh, but nothing, nothing too, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything super groundbreaking, but um, mostly little things. And I know you do a lot of housing association rentals. Uh, so mm -hmm. how, how do you like interface between the housing association, you know, uh, and the investor that is purchasing the properties? So, you know, obviously some townhomes or like HOAs, whether it's condo or townhome, allow rentals and some don't. And one of the things that we do is we look through their rules and regulations and their bylaws to see what they, uh, what they will and will not allow. Um, that often includes a control F and then the word rent. And so we can find that section. Um, what's most common is associations will allow rentals up to 25% of their units because anything over that and it precludes those associations from being FHA finance eligible. Um, and they typically are requiring a one-year lease and they want a copy of the lease and sometimes they have background checks. I've seen ones where the association runs their own background check and I've seen ones that say, just send us a copy of the lease or just send them a copy of the rules and, 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 uh, and the phone number. So there's a kind of a variety of how the associations want to have things handled. Um, but basically, whatever they say goes. I mean, that's we're following what they say. So if they want a copy of the lease, they're getting it. If they don't want to allow rentals, we're not doing rentals there. It's, it's kind of uh, they're calling the shots. And as far as the owners are concerned and their interactions, um, you know, our management agreement calls for us to have um, not quite power of attorney or whatever, but the ability to call the association on their behalf. You know, we're, we're their agent, we're their fiduciary in that. And so um, we'll handle all of that on their behalf as far as whatever requirements they have, as far as getting updated copies of the rules and regs and things like that. Are there any benefits of having a rental in a housing association versus not? You know, I'm, I'm relatively biased on this. I do like owning in uh, homeowner associations personally. My rationale for it is there's two property managers involved, the association manager and then the unit property manager. So you're getting kind of like double the management. Um, on top of it, it seems like every townhome association that I invest in, there's always some, uh, I'll call them like a rule warrior where they, uh, they're often retirees and they've got a copy of the rule book in their hand and they're out there enforcing stuff, right? They're, they live there, so they see it every day. So when, when that tenant doesn't pull in their trash can the day that the trash comes, uh, they're, they're letting the association management company know. The association management company has the contact information for the tenant. The tenant is notified by them. I didn't even have anything to do with it. You know, it's just completely handled without me. 
The other part of it is it diffuses some of the risk as well. Um, you know, exterior maintenance uh, and, you know, siding and roof and some of those things are all kind of, you know, taken care of uh, as part of the association fee. Oftentimes, water, trash, other utilities are included in the association. So again, it's fewer checks, fewer vendors, less to worry about. You know, there are downsides. Um, part of your association fee is going towards a replacement reserve. So, you know, let's just say your association fee is 270. 70 of that might just be going into a savings account. So it's like you're, you're taking cash flow away and putting it in a reserve account that you may or may not ever have any benefit from because you might sell it before they ever end up replacing the roof or, you know, whatever big ticket items they're saving for. Um, but it's a little bit of a, it's an opinion thing, right? I'm a contrarian in liking them. Few do. So. I know you have kind of a niche with, you know, doing uh, section eight housing in these uh, HOAs as well. Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, it's not that we're necessarily seeking HOA properties for these, but the reality is um, Section 8 pays by the number of bedrooms. And so a single family house for three bedrooms is more than a single or than a townhome with three bedrooms. So um, so we're more we're more seeing that based on the fact that the returns are better in a townhome, even with the association fee included. And you can get the above market rent, I'm sure. In some instances, it's very, uh, very, very specific zip codes where I found that uh, the, the Section 8 payment standards are above market rate. It's Right now, it's only like three in the Twin City where that would apply. Um, the other whatever 500 zip codes in the Twin Cities are all under. So it's not worth, in my opinion, doing Section 8 in those zip codes because the, the process is more cumbersome mm. and takes a long time. Like, I mean, we're taking on average 60 days to get our first rent check once we do Section 8. Like, I mean, I leased one on uh, January 1st and I just got my rent from the government yesterday. So, I mean, it's that was what, almost two months. So not everybody can afford to wait for going through the process and everything like that. My hope is that doing that upfront and taking that little bit of pain uh, means that if these tenants stay in there for two, three, four, five years and the government's paying their rent, you know, I have a nice little stable thing. Um, I wouldn't probably recommend it for first time or so. Yeah, it seems like most investors either love Section 8 or they absolutely hate it. Uh, you know, what's your perspective on it? <laughs> uh, that's a great question, Matt. Um, so if you would have asked me before August of 2021, I would have had a very negative viewpoint on it. Um, you know, when I first started in the business and I started taking over property management for places um, that were with other property managers, oftentimes every time I had walked into one that was like a Section 8 one, it was like, wow, this place was destroyed. So I had very early on created a perception in my mind that Section 8 tenants, because they aren't they have no skin in the game, so to speak. They're not going to take care of your property. Well, what I came to learn later is that, number one, the government is trying to incentivize people to help move people 
from very specific parts of the Twin Cities, i.e. North Minneapolis, Brooklyn Park, East St. Paul, et cetera, and proliferate them into markets like in the West Metro, the North Metro, the South, and you know, wherever, um, and give them access to better education, you know, community, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so um, by doing that, they actually finally created a proper incentive for me to try out the program. And then when I did, I found out that, you know, I actually felt really good about it because predominantly the people that we are helping to get into these properties through Section 8 are single mothers with multiple children. And, you know, um, that's, that's a very difficult situation for them to be in and to give them an opportunity to have, you know, better schools for their children and, you know, kind of give them a leg up from what they were at, from the situation they were in to the situation they'll be at. Um, was very rewarding. And so uh, I guess I've changed my opinion a little bit to thinking like, yeah, this is a good program. Like it, it can help affect and change. And part of that came down to research I did on what an impact zip code you're raised in has on uh, the opportunities that you have in life. They said that the zip code you live in is the number one determining factor on whether or not you'll graduate high school, go to college, uh, have a drug overdose, and, um, and teen pregnancy. I think that was where the four that they said were most correlated to the zip code. Uh, there's a whole article on it. And if you, if, you, uh, if you look at it, it was a New York Times article where they interviewed teachers as well. And they talked about the impact of zip codes and stuff like that. So for me, I started to evolve my thinking into feeling like I'm, I'm creating uh, opportunities for upward mobility for, for, for families. And that kind of, that paradigm shift made it go from a, oh, I don't want to deal with these people who might trash my property to let's see what we can do to give people a better opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I just have a few last questions for you here. Sure. Uh, how do you like to give back? How do I like to give back? Um, there's an expression that I'm a, a big fan of, and it says, whatever we most needed to learn is what we're most excited to teach. And uh, so for me, it was learning to be an independent entrepreneur, like a, like a self-made man, so to speak, um, having learned how to, you know, create an LLC and um, running a business and, um, you know, everything from taxes and all this kind of stuff. So what I like to do is I like to listen when I hear somebody say, you know, gosh, I'd really love to start a landscaping business, but, you know, I'm just missing this, this, and this, right? Well, I'll listen and I'll be like, hey, I could help you with that. And so I've partnered now with about a dozen different people to help them to create their own business where I'm a partner in it for a while. And then there's a predetermined buyout. They, and then they take me out of it and then they are self-sufficient. And every one of those people is still in business today. And so I'm very proud of that. And then the other thing that I am especially proud of is um, I tend to attract young men from, you know, kind of, let's say troubled backgrounds, kind of similar to how I came up uh, as a young man and they want to do what I do. And I bring them into VSM and I, I mentor them and I train them and I show them, you know, how I did everything that I've done. And I really like to, to give back like that, that entrepreneurial coach. That's probably the, the, that's, that's my best version of myself. I would say is being able to help people in that way. Very cool. And yeah. what's a what's a favorite book that you can recommend? Oh, I love uh, the book Go Giver. Um, I don't know if have you read that one? Yeah, by Bob Berg, excellent book. Yeah, it is. It's 
it's more of a uh, it's more of a mindset book and it's short and it's easy to digest but it really helps you to look at life and the the, the way that you interact with others um and uh I, I would say it's one of those books that i like to read it like quarterly it's so impactful for me i shouldn't even say read it i like to listen to it in my car on audible while i'm driving you know once a quarter roughly so uh what are your three pillars of wealth creation oof um okay so number one i would say is um striking out for yourself whether that be self-employed or being a business owner, once you get control over how you make and produce your income uh, and how you can you know, help other people to, in your business and also be able to potentially profit from their activities, I would say that's one of them. Um, you know, Living below your means, I think, is another one. Uh, one that I struggled with a little bit earlier on. Once I first started having some success, I, you know, was buying all these flashy cars and, you know, crap that I, you know, no longer have and don't need. Um, so being conservative and living below your means, I think, is uh, is another big one. And then thirdly would be understanding the tax side of things because um, there are a lot of loopholes and tools that if you understand them and you know how to use them um, could make a huge swing in what you end up paying in taxes and so there's a there's an expression that i think everybody in our business loves it's not what you make it's what you keep uh and so i would say those probably would be the the three main things uh you know taking control of how you make your income not spending too much and not giving as much to the government excellent well, I appreciate all the value you've offered to our listeners today. If they'd like to get in touch with you to learn more about what you have going on in real estate, uh, how can they do so? Uh, also, okay, so then my phone number is 612-396-5216, 612-396-5216, or email. It's my first name, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at vsmrealestate.com. And VSM is Victor Sam Mary Real Estate.com. Those would be the two best ways to get a hold of me. Um, if you are calling me for the first time, just be aware I don't usually answer numbers I don't know. So shoot me a text message or an email perhaps to, to kick off conversations. I get too many uh, calls about extended warranties <laughs> and you know other crap that I would rather not answer unknown numbers. So, um, but I would certainly love to talk to anybody who's interested whether you're looking to hire us or, you know, do something like what we do. Um, we're always looking to bring on talented people to, you know, be agents and work in our ecosystem. So. Excellent. Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you coming on today to share your experience with our listeners. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure to connect with you, Matt. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venture D 
venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.